Um, I wanted to introduce to you our speaker today is Holly Nelson. Some of you have probably heard Holly teach before, because she has, but not in this session. So for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, this will be a new treat. Um, Holly's been in our fellowship for many, many years, and what I love about Holly is she's so real, and she's used her gifts and her experiences to come alongside other women. Um, So I'm sure that you will be blessed this morning as she surrenders to the Lord and allows him to speak through her. So Holly, if you'd join us, that'd be great. Hi, good morning. This is a treat for me because out of the 20 years or so that I have been coming to Calvary Vista, I think this is only the second time that I've ever been to a morning study. So I've seen lots of faces that I haven't seen in a long time and lots of new faces, so it's, it's a blessing to be here. Okay, so we're going to be in Romans 6 today, and we're going to be discussing some truths about our position in Christ, our responsibility in Christ, and the promises we have for our future in Christ. And the key word is in Christ. Our theology matters because what we believe always determines how we behave. And just so you know, Satan does not want you to know these truths. His desire is to lie deceive and keep you stuck in your old life and your old way of thinking and to keep you from living in that rightful and already received new life. So today we're going to fight against those lies. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we just come before you this morning and we're just asking for your spirit to speak. Show us your love and your grace and your mercy and your power, Lord, the power to live a new life. So just be with us, speak to our hearts, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let me tell you about Doreen. Doreen was growing in Christ but she was oppressed by a recurring practice. When she was under pressure, she would let off steam by swearing at her young children. They were typical kids. They were noisy, arguing, making messes, and demanding. And her worst time was right before dinner. And her defeats usually took place in her kitchen Doreen always confessed her sin and pleaded with the Lord to help her, but she couldn't conquer it. And one Friday, just before the family was going to leave on a holiday weekend, things were especially tense. She had a million things to do. The children were all wound up as they came home from school, and her husband was due home. And suddenly her youngsters started to fight, and just as Doreen was about to hurl some expletives at her children, 
a great calm came over her. Why? She experienced a great spiritual victory in the kitchen. Why? Well, when Doreen testified about her, spirit, her experience, she said that the promises of Romans 6.14, that sin should not have dominion over her, had finally become a reality. But before we get into Romans 6, I want to set us up with what idea Paul is trying to get us to understand. So in order to do that, I'm going to go back to Romans 5, 12 through 14. And I'm going to read through the Amplified Version throughout the morning um, because it really amplifies the text. That's why it's called the Amplified. (laughs) So, okay, I'm going to start in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power because they all sinned. Sin was committed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone when there is no law against it. Verse 14. Yet death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who had not sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of him, Christ, who was to come. But in reverse, Adam brought destruction, Christ brought salvation. I have the privilege of discipling and counseling women, and one of the things I see is confusion when it comes to the old life in Adam and the new life in Christ. I see confusion in what women believe their responsibilities are opposed to what Christ did for them. So I have a visual that I hope will help us understand as we hit on some points in Romans 6. So you can put that PowerPoint. Oh, it's already there. Okay, I'm going to get out of the way. So this is a visual of Romans 5, and I figured I could show you a lot easier than I could tell you. So we have three circles here. The first circle is imputed sin into the world, and the avenue it came from was Adam. Our world today is in a state of fallenness. We exist in a fallen, broken world. So when I have women say to me, why did this happen to me? I don't understand. I serve the Lord. I love the Lord. Why did this happen to me? Well, this is the why. We live in a fallen, broken world. And then our second circle is our fallen inherited sin nature, which causes us to have a disposition or to default to sin. You inherited this sin nature from your parents and you pass it on to your children. This sin nature will not go away while we are in these bodies. You cannot work your way out of this condition. And this is why Doreen kept being defeated. And then we have our third circle, the middle one, which is our volitional, individual, sinful act. 
We choose to sin because we live in a fallen, broken world. And because our disposition is to sin. But we can decide to not sin or to sin. And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important and such good news. To the right of the screen, you see, in Christ, imputed righteousness. Jesus is the only thing that takes care of all three of these aspects of our life and our world. Fallen, broken world, sin nature, and our ability to choose right from wrong. And this ability, it comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to live outside of sin's power. So when Doreen thought about the habit of swearing, she finally realized for the very first time that she could have victory and not swear at her children because she finally believed and understood the reality of Romans 6.14, which is our memory verse. Christ died to change us, ladies. This is important. We need to know what we can change and what we can't change. So while I was studying, I came across a prayer that I thought I would share. American Protestant theologian Carl Paul Reinhold Neuber is famous for a prayer that he composed in 1932. His prayer was very popular with church groups in the 30s and the 40s, and it was adopted, and it became very popular by, does anybody want to guess? Monday night didn't get it. You all know it. Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step programs, early versions of this prayer are given no title, but by 1955, it was being called what? Yes. The original prayer went like this. Father, give us courage to change what must be altered, serenity to accept what cannot be helped, and the insight to know the one from the other. We cannot change the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world. We cannot change that our disposition to sin is going to be here while we are in these bodies. And that leaves our volitional act of sin. And this is where our responsibility comes in. This is where we need the courage to change what must be altered with the filling and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God will not do for us what he has instructed us to do. He instructed us to think for ourselves He will not believe for us or repent for us or forgive others for us, but he will enable us to do all that he has commanded us to do. So let's get to Romans 6 
And Paul starts by asking two questions, which starts off our chapter. And this is why Romans 5 and 6 kind of go together. So Romans 6, 1. What shall we say to all this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? As Christians, we should not live the way we used to live because, ladies, we are not who we used to be. As Christians, is it still possible to visit sin country? Yes. But Romans 6, 12 through 13 tells us, do not let sin reign. It can, but don't let it. Don't let sin be in the driver's seat just because there's a possibility that it can. And Paul talks about two aspects of sin here. So on your handout, uh, your first fill in the blank is continuance in sin. Shall we remain in sin? And your second fill in the blank is committing single acts of sin. Shall we live in it? And Paul says, absolutely not. And 1 John 3, 9 confirms this teaching. And it says, again, in the Amplified Version, no one who is born of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin because God's seed, his principle of life, the essence of his righteous character remains permanently in him who is born again, who is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose. And he who is born again cannot habitually live a life characterized by sin because he is born of God and longs to please him. So Paul is talking about habitual sin and occasional sin that we are to combat. And I have three points today that I want us to understand in helping us fight against sin and the devil. And in our sanctification process of dead to sin and alive to Christ. So point one is no. Point two is to consider or reckon. And point three is to present or yield. So your fill in the blank number three is no. If we are to know victory over sin in our lives, we must first know that we died with Christ on the cross. And Romans 6, 8 through 9 says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live together with him because we know the self-evident truth that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. We should know that our old self was crucified. So who we were in Adam was crucified. 
It is history. And what else are we to know? We are to know that we are dead to sin, but our sin nature is not gone. We are to know, even though we are still in these bodies, we are set free from the power and the penalty of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Romans 6.14, our memory verse. We are to know we still have everything we came into the world with, but now we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit as an alternative to our thinking, feeling, and choosing desires. And I know this is a confusing and difficult problem, but we are to know only, 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 only yielding to Christ's works. This is not a behavior modification thing. We need to know. We need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It is a Godward leaning. As we nurture the things of the Spirit, transformation will come. Our second point, which is located in verse 11, and says, Even so, consider Or reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Has anybody ever had a really bad boyfriend that you just could not wait to break that relationship off and you were like, you are dead to me? The idea is break that relationship off and don't ever look back. We should consider ourselves or reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. That means that we can be non-responsive. We can be corpse-like towards sin. But we can be alive and responsive to God because we are alive to Jesus Christ. So I borrowed this description of reckon from writer Margie Hill, who wrote in her Roman study this. Reckon is an accounting term. It means to count, compute, calculate, or count over. Do you do the math when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? To use a bank account, you have to understand some basic concepts like addition and subtraction, and that spending takes money out. You have to realize that the amount in the bank is real, regardless of how you feel. (laughs) You have to spend time checking what is in your account, and you have to intentionally connect your actions to what is in the account. Do you live by what you feel to be true, or do you live by what is really true? Freedom comes to those who do the math when it comes to who they are in Christ. We're to know this truth, then day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, we are to reckon it to be so. We are never to lose sight of it. We are never to doubt it. We are never to let the devil lie to us 
by telling us we did not die with Christ. We did die with Christ. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. This is the secret of a holy life. God said it, so we now count it. We reckon it to be so. So number four on your handout is freedom comes to those who reckon it to be so when it comes to who they are in Christ. No one who knows that two plus two equals four would ever consider that there could be a different answer, right? Nor should we doubt what Christ did on the cross. So our final point, and then we'll get into some application, is found in verse 13. Do not go on offering the members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those raised from the dead to a new life. And your members, all of your abilities, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. So our third point is yield. Verse 13 tells us not to present our members, the members of our body, from our head to our toes as instruments of unrighteousness, but to present ourselves from our heads to our toes to God as instruments of righteousness. And this word instruments is actually a military term. A better translation is the word weapons. Our hands, our feet, our tongue, the members of our body are weapons in the battle, the good fight we find ourselves in. And Paul says, don't take your weapons and give them to the enemy. It would be absurd for a person to hand over their weapons to their enemy, right? But that's exactly what we do when we use our tongue or other members of our body that should be used as weapons of righteousness. And we use them as weapons to wound somebody, like our example with Doreen. From the original Greek, the thought unfolding from this passage is the idea of a continuous yielding. Don't continually keep yielding your weapons to sin your enemy. And the thought goes on to imply, once for all, yield your members to God. So number five on your handout, our responsibility is to yield our members to Christ. So our three points today are know what Christ did for you, Reckon it to be a done deal with no doubting and yield all of who you are to Christ for his glory and your sanctification. And I want to spend the rest of our time today applying these truths to our everyday life and how this works out in our daily sanctification process. And sanctification is just a fancy word for growing in Christ. So on your handout, there's a section, I think it's on the other side, um, called The New Has Come. Everything we've been talking about falls under our positional sanctification, 
what Christ did for us, and what he has promised us, we have no part to play in this. Jesus did it all. And it makes me want to break out in that song. (laughs) Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. The middle guy there who is running is progressive sanctification. And that is where we find ourselves living right now. It is our responsibility, ladies, to believe, yield, and grow closer to God with the filling and the help of his Holy Spirit. And like I said earlier, God will not do for us what he has instructed us to do for ourselves. There are many hindrances to sanctification, and I have listed a few of those on your handout. Our position and our identity in Christ is not just a positional truth. It is actually the foundation for how we live and grow in Christ. If your view of God and what he's done or your view of yourself do not line up with scripture, then everything in your life will be off kilter. The truth is, we will not consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with how we perceive ourselves. In other words, if you don't believe it, you're not going to live it out. And this is a problem. So let's talk about some hindrances to our sanctification process. Before we came to Christ, we all learned coping mechanisms to survive and succeed in life. We all have learned how to defend ourselves. So we create defense mechanisms to protect ourselves. So some defense mechanisms can be lying, denial, blaming. Anybody blamed your husband? Fantasy, emotional insulation, regression to old behavior, addictions, isolation, and rationalizing sin or certain behaviors like Doreen did. If these behaviors are repeated for several weeks, they become habits. And if we continue using these habits, they become strongholds. Strongholds can be our habitual patterns of thought And on your handout, I gave you a definition of a stronghold. It's an area where spiritual darkness reigns. Anything strong enough to keep us from becoming like Christ. It can be ideas, temptations that we give into, shame, guilt. A thought pattern alien to the word of God. A place where the enemy's thoughts seem more credible than our thoughts or God's thoughts. Everyone who knows me well has heard me say more than once, we have to think about what we're thinking about. Why? Because what we think always turns into how we behave. The truth is, we all have memories of the old life. 
how we learned to live our lives before we were in Christ. So Neil Anderson says in his book, Christ-Centered Therapy, this. A mental stronghold is like the grooves worn in a dirt road over the course of time. If someone were to drive in that manner long enough, it wouldn't even become necessary to steer the car down the road. The car would naturally follow these grooves and any attempt to steer out of the grooves would be met with great resistance. Wow. Another stronghold that many women struggle with is called an inferiority complex. Ladies, we were not born inferior to anyone. But many of us begin to believe we are inferior because of the environment in which we were raised or something that was repeatedly told to us or done to us. Then we compare ourselves with others, don't we? And we don't measure, if we, if we don't measure up in our eyes or someone else's eyes, it brings shame. And in our competitive culture, how can anyone not develop some sense of inferiority or struggle with personal identity and self-worth? So the question is, Do we have to live with these old defense mechanisms, strongholds, habits, and inferiority complexes the rest of our lives? Can our temperament be transformed by the renewing of our minds? If we've been trained wrongly, can we be retrained? If we've been taught wrongly, can we be retaught? If we've believed lies... Can we renounce those lies and choose the truth? And the answer is a thousand times yes. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The old is dead. The new has come. We have the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead. So I need to hear an amen. (laughs) We have control over what we think, and we can decide to believe what God says is true. On your handout, there's three things that empower us in our sanctification process. And the first one is understand, understanding we can renew our mind. So last week, Jess held up some cards. And so I went home and I've got like, I've got books of these things over the years. And I didn't realize, but when I came on Monday night and I opened it up, I was like, oh, that's so you, God. Um, What I have, the last entry that I wrote, and this was from March of this year. I wrote the memory, what I was believing. I wrote it down. And then I wrote the sin that it was causing me to to do. And then I wrote the truth of what God really says. And I meditated over this. And I started believing what God had to say over what the devil was telling me, 
what my old thought pattern was telling me. And I applied Romans 6.14. Sin does not have dominion over me. And I started believing it. And that the second thing, so this is a great tool, ladies. It's a great tool. The second thing is understanding we can, we can, we should, and we need to stay close to God, abiding in him. And that means being in the word personally for your relationship with God journaling, having a prayer partner, having an accountability partner. This is not a come to church on Sunday and hear Pastor Rob spoon feed you and then go home and don't do anything. This is our responsibility, our individual act to choose to get to know God and let him into our lives. And the third thing is we can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we do need to think about what we're thinking about. Reason it out with God. If you tell yourself you're not valuable, go to what the word of God says about you. If you wired it in, ladies, you can wire it out. Throw out what what is not true. It is not about how you feel. It's about what God says about you. The gospel is for our sin-based struggles, and it is also for suffering-based struggles. I was having coffee with a couple friends recently, and my friend said this, and I told her, you got to write that down. I need to use it. (laughs) And I quote her, when I started on this journey... I left the burden that I was carrying at the cross. Today, five years later, I am more confident. I have strength supernaturally through Christ. But I still find that I'm hanging on to the old. Each day, Christ is helping me let go and trust in him. God empowers us to change as we live close to him by faith. People are either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or they're slaves of God, choosing, choosing, choosing to act in righteous ways and in the end receiving eternal life. God has broken the power of sin over us and we are now under the power of his grace. As we choose to live in a way that is consistent with his truth, we are able to live righteous lives that identify us as children of God. And just in closing, a week or so ago, Pastor Aaron Sabio taught on the cost of discipleship. And he said there's no room for half-heartedness because we are dead to self, dead to sin, alive to Christ. He also said that a disciple is a follower, a learner of someone or something. He said, and I quote, you can't make a disciple if you are not a disciple yourself. 
And I was watching a video a couple of weeks ago, and this is what the narrator said. He said, what happens when you don't commit to grow in your knowledge of God? His answer was, you will be discipled by something else. You will not grow as an image bearer of Jesus. You are being discipled by something. You can't not be discipled. The thing you love, adore, desire the most must be Jesus. Jesus died for us. Jesus is enough to change us and to help us live in a way that brings him glory and produces good fruit in our lives and the lives of others. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I just lift this time up to you. I lift this response time up to you. I pray that you would speak your truth over us. I pray that it would go down deep, Lord, in the crevices of our heart that light has never seen, that you want to penetrate our hearts and bring forth lies, strongholds, habits, things that you know keep us from your best, from our best, and for your glory, Lord. Help us to be those Help us to understand what you did on the cross and that we have this power as we abide in you, Lord, to just know you more and love you more and love one another more. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your precious, precious name. Amen. Wow. I don't know about you ladies, but I'm kind of speechless. Um, what a powerful message. Thank you, Holly. Thank you, Lord. Um, ladies, um, I, I know you would agree with me. Holly said so many things that um, I hope we can just allow to sink in and to take home this week and whatever. But I loved when she said, God said it. It is true. So we need to believe and accept that it's true. And we need to live that way. Um, I know so many times it's so easy to just fall back into old habits for me, but um, what a reminder. So remember, we're dead to sin, ladies. And we've been freed from our shame, from our guilt, from our inferiority complexes, from our addictions, from our evil thoughts, from our wicked tongues. I mean, there's so many things that the Lord has just freed us from all of that. And yet, we can't do it in our own power, right? So, Lord, um, I just ask that you would just be with the ladies as we spend a little bit of quiet time with you. Um, Our role now is to be obedient and... Just, I'm encouraging you not to hang on to the old things in your lives, Lord, uh, ladies. The only way we're going to have true freedom is if we surrender. And so um, I feel like, boy, Holly, you called us to action. (laughs) 
So um, this is an act of faith that we have and an act of love that we have. So, um, Lord, ladies, I just think we should relinquish control of our strongholds. And I'm going to invite anybody who wants to, during as, leadership, as the worship team leads us, anybody who just wants to come down here and just kneel and just give your strongholds to the Lord. It's a personal thing between you and the Lord, but he desires to hear from you, and he desires to free you of those things. So I'm going to remind you, as Pastor Rob often does, there's lots of nice padded carpeting down here, so don't feel um, free, you know, don't feel worried about uh, coming down here and we're kneeling on this cement, but we've got a lot of comfort here, so... Um, I would just encourage you all to come forward and just deliver yourself from these strongholds. Just surrender to the Lord. We do not have to live with the lies that we believe.